0: Hey everybody, this is Brent Watkinson with The Everyday Artist. I'm going to start again with a little bit of a story, as I often like to do. This story is about the great French artist Henri Matisse. Matisse was being visited by some local dignitaries and politicians, and they were admiring the many images that he had on the walls, leaning up against the walls in great stacks in his studio. And one of the visitors in particular was admiring a certain image. And the visitor said, you know, the arm on this woman doesn't look quite right. And Matisse said, that's because it's not a woman. It's a painting of a woman. And I think that was a very wise thing to say because we all know what a great interpreter Matisse was. And that's what we try to do as artists. We look at the world, we put things in our mind, we use our eyes, our nose, all of our senses, we interpret it and it comes out as a piece of artwork. That's all we're trying to do. Trying to use the things around us and interpret the world according to the way our brain thinks and the way our eyes see. So I had the great joy of going to Art Westport about three days ago. Westport is an entertainment center located in Kansas City, Missouri. They block off the streets to all traffic except pedestrian traffic. And artists come from around the community and around the country and set up booths and tents and talk to people and sell their artwork. And I was fortunate enough to run across many many wonderful people and let me give you the list now, and this will be the order in which you will hear the interviews. Taj Mattingly, Rick Wright, Megan Leon, Meredith Triwalla, Nicholas Gadbois, Sean Smith, Heather Hamilton, Kathy Brodsky, and last but not least, Whitney Manny. Many of you are listening on Stitcher, or iTunes, or Buzzsprout. That's all well and good. If you go to my personal website, brentwatkinson.com, you can see images and a listing of the websites of all these incredible people that I was able to talk with. So don't forget to do that. So, let's get into it. All right, tell me your name and what type of art you do. Uh, My name is Taj and I do
1: large-scale paintings and black and white drawings. What kind of subject
0: matter am I looking at here?
1: Well, all around the booth I've got um, everything from animals to pop culture, uh, ballerinas, and really kind of any subject matter that I've been working on for the last year with Draw Every Day. How long have you been an artist? Man, that's a tough one. since I was born I would say but yeah I mean I've been working uh, at becoming a better artist since I was around seven or so taking classes with anyone that will pick me up
0: why do you do it
1: yeah that's a really good question Uh, I would say mostly because there's not too much else to do in this world not for me Uh, I've tried to work for other people I've tried to do all kinds of weird jobs and this is the only thing that'll really keep me happy and keep me pushing for something more so I think with the
0: Within this world, if you're trying to get better, it keeps you busy. What would you do if somebody came along and said, "All right, Taj, no more art. You can't, you can't draw and paint anymore." What, what do you think you would feel like? Uh, I don't think that would happen. <laughs> I so there'd be a fight. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. There's no real stopping. I had uh, I had an accident a few years ago, and it really brought up the possibility of me stopping doing art. It was uh, to my dominant hand, and after that, I really kind of decided that, well, I don't need a right hand to draw. You can switch it up and learn a whole new way. Everybody else does it, so. Did you go to school for art? I did, in fact, and uh, went to the Kansas City Art Institute and actually took two summers to go to the Illustration Academy. Might have met a few people out there that I knew. (laughs) Did you graduate from the Art Institute? I did. I graduated in 2003 with a degree in graphic design and illustration.
0: And obviously we have established that you have drawn basically all of your life. Now you mentioned something in passing you said draw every, every day. You mentioned in passing that you did something called draw every day. Can you explain that?
1: Yeah, sure. It was just something that uh, I had seen a few people doing. It was a hashtag that was going around. Instagram has really kind of been huge for me. Uh, You meet a great community of artists there, and you see a lot of inspiring work. Things like Inktober, where you draw every day of the month of October, and sometimes there are directed uh, lists that you can take from and do something new, and it gives you kind of direction that is outside of someone paying you to do something. It just allows you to be free in your mind and when I started doing draw every day at the beginning of the year I just originally decided to do it for the year and now that I'm over halfway in I don't think
0: it's gonna stop with this year (laughs) do you do anything else that you would consider creative like uh, dance or working on hot rods cook
1: tell me I do like cooking I like cooking a lot but uh, for the most part I'd say my creative endeavors are really just focused on art I I've been more and more busy in the studio and it really is taking up a ton of time and that's great i hadn't had the opportunity to really kind of dig in for a long time and now i've kind of made the commitment to it i'm definitely going to be you know
0: spending more and more time creatively in the studio well i can back up that you do draw every day because i follow you on social media (laughs) and it is a constant flow of interesting work And what is your name and what type of art do you do?
2: My name is Rick Wright. I am a figurative painter. Uh, it's kind of in an abstract, expressionistic style.
0: How long have you been an artist?
2: Oh, I could say my entire life, but um, I've probably been pretty serious about it for the last uh, 10 to 12 years.
0: Did you draw and paint when you were growing up?
2: Yeah, that's really kind of the bread and butter um, for for my work. I. I really enjoy drawing, especially gestural drawing, so that's really what got me involved with uh, painting the figure. So I, th- I see the paintings kind of as an extension of uh, the drawing that uh, I prefer to do.
0: Do you do other creative endeavors in your life, like uh, play an instrument or cook or what have you? <laughs> I-, I wish I could play an instrument and I wish I could uh, hold a tune. Um, but
2: um, no, the, the, the artwork, I do my personal work, but I also work with young people. Uh, my other day job is uh, art directing for a small nonprofit that's arts-based. So I get to work with youth and then I do my own creative
0: thing as well. So if somebody came along and said, okay, Rick, no more art, we can't let you do that anymore, uh, what do you think you'd feel like?
2: Oh, well, I can tell you what I'd feel like because I I did take a hiatus from it at one point just to kind of hold down, uh, you know, a sort of nine to five job and uh, it kind of sucked the life out of me. And uh, I I quickly found out that I I still needed to have a creative outlook into my my life a little bit.
0: So what did you do to get back into it?
2: Uh, Well, you know, I have a young daughter so it's always kind of tough to do that when you have uh, children around the house but um, y- you know it's life's just not as interesting when you're not doing what you love so um, whether it's the evenings or the weekends or just find that spare time to sit down and you know sketch a little bit or or uh, you know go enjoy something out there in the world that's uh, inspiring to you and and let that kind of be a, a, a creative uh impulse to what what you want to do with your artwork so I' don't know just getting out there and, and making time
0: for it I guess what do you think your non-artist friends think about your passion I, I like to, <laughs> I like to think
2: that they're impressed by it but um, it's also difficult to kind of explain what it is that I do on a daily basis so um, I, but I think in general they're they're great supporters of my work and and uh, will spread the word for me, I hope.
0: So how do you solve problems in composition? Do you have any tricks of the trade?
2: Well, um, I, I do love to draw, so I'll, I'll work things on paper quite a bit, but I also uh, embrace the, the computer and digital work. So if I have some images that each have elements of them that I and compelled to I may kind of digitally alter them and and merge them together It's to kind of it's kind of a way of just it's another tool to sketch out things I may have two different drawings and kind of combine them together digitally to to uh, to work on a composition a little bit more
0: how often do you work in your sketchbook
2: uh, at least weekly but I would I love to do it daily but sometimes life happens um, you know, sitting down for a quiet 15 minutes is, is good too. So just as long as, you know, kind of keeps the rust off and keeps you fluid. So I think that's really at the heart of, of most artists' work is um, being able to draw, whether it's something that's uh, 2D or even three-dimensional or tactile. I think just being able to communicate your ideas through drawing
0: is, is really important. Einstein was a firm believer in naps. Do you, what do you think about naps? I, I believe my seven year old daughter would tell
2: you that's pretty much all I do. <laughs> so I, I, re- I really like a good afternoon nap. That two to four o'clock time is real key on a weekend if I can get it.
0: <laughs> you mentioned a seven year old. Do they have artistic endeavors? Uh, sh-
2: she does. Uh, she's a bit of a performer, but she loves working in the studio with me. You know, I, I like to refer to it as our studio, so she always feels. Comfortable coming down and, and working with me, so she's really familiar with the acrylic paints that I use. So um, I, it's it's great. I don't I don't push her to do it, but I certainly welcome it anytime she wants to join me down there.
0: So it's just a um, it's a mutual bonding experience that that ends up with you having a product and her having time with dad.
2: Oh, yes, yeah, certainly, and, and she has her own product as well. She probably has as many paintings in her studio as I do, and she's not here at the moment, but she really does enjoy coming to these art fairs, um, so she kind of grew up in the back of a tent uh, as we do some of these shows. I can remember when she was about a year and a half, we, we strung up her swing on the back side of this tent, and so she would hang out back here while I'm trying to hawk my wares out front.
0: Very good, Rick. Anything else you'd like to add at the last minute here?
2: Uh, n- no, I would just say uh, support your local artists. If you if you have an opportunity to uh, see work around your 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 area, your neighborhood, uh, you know, strike up a conversation and fall in love with piece and and, uh, and the person behind it.
0: Good advice. Thank you. Great. What's your name and what type of art do you do?
3: I'm Megan Leong and I do mixed-media acrylic paintings.
0: Did you do art when you were younger?
3: Yes, I um, always had an interest in art and was making art as a kid and then decided to study art at school and went to UCM for painting and then...
0: UCM is?
3: In Warrensburg, Missouri. Mm-hmm. So you're a mule? I'm a meal, correct, or a Jenny. <laughs> yes, and then I went on to get my MFA in painting at Kendall College of Art and Design in Grand Rapids, Michigan.
0: If someone said, okay, Megan, I'm, I'm sorry, you can't do art anymore, how would that make you feel?
3: Horrible, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, I really can't imagine not making art um, I have two little kids, a one-year-old and a five-year-old, and so I'm a full-time mom, part-time artist at the moment, but I definitely feel it when I don't make that time to get into the studio and make work.
0: Is your five-year-old artistic? Does she like mom's studio?
3: She does. She's very creative and um, will often make work alongside of me as well, too. She's at an age where she can do that, which is pretty, pretty fun and exciting, too.
0: I think mom, or being a mom, is a very creative thing to do. What else do you do that may be considered creative? Do you play an instrument, or do you sculpt, do you cook?
3: I uh, really enjoy cooking. Uh, my husband is from Malaysia. He's Chinese-Malaysian, so we eat a lot of Asian cuisine, and I have learned to cook quite a bit of it as well.
0: I'm swooning because that's one of my favorite. That sounds really, really good. Where did you meet him?
3: We met in college in Moundsburg.
0: Is he an artist?
3: He is not. He's creative. He likes to, um, yeah, write and play music and things. But he is a mortgage loan officer by trade right now.
0: <laughs> there you go. I can see how that would be creative. Also, uh, you, yeah, you have to use use your your wits to uh, to figure out the maze of things that go on. Mm-hmm. I'm also a computer programmer, which, you know, I've been an artist all my life, and people say that doesn't make sense. And I say, yes, it does, because computer programming is one of the most creative things I've ever done. So mm-hmm. you, of all people, I think will understand that. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about your studio habits. Are you really neat? Are you messy? How does how does it work for you?
3: Mm-hmm. Um, I err on the side of messy, I would say. <laughs> um, I definitely um, create the ideas for pieces come through the process of creating for me so I might have an initial few images that I know I want to work with but how that's coming together really happens as I make the work and as it develops so I frequently paint over things and block out different areas of the paintings as I go Um so it creates sort of this layered like memory like sort of feel almost within my work too
0: I'm looking at your work now while we speak and your work definitely has layers. Uh, Sometimes I call that history or archeology,
4: span
0: and I can see uh, different decisions that you're making. Mm -hmm. And is that something that you tried to figure out consciously, or is that just the way you work and you just stay out of your mind's way?
3: I would say it's more the way that I work, but it's probably become less clunky and a little more intentional looking the more that I've painted. Um, so yeah, it's definitely definitely part of my process that's built in, I would say.
0: What's your favorite palette? What type of um, colors do you tend to uh, use over and over?
3: Uh, spring is definitely my favorite season. I just love how hopeful it feels when things start to come to life. And so you'll see a lot of um, those spring colors in my work. I use a lot of pastels and also more vibrant colors um, yeah kind of contrasted with selective areas of darker colors but in general my my paintings are pretty
4: pretty bright and light feeling
0: what is your name and what type of art do you do
4: sure my name is Meredith Treewalla and I am a jeweler I, I make all kinds of wonderful everyday daily wear jewelry
0: everyday art jewelry
4: yes yeah I like I like for people to be able to put it on and then forget that they have it on
0: how long have you been doing this
4: Um. oh goodness I've been back and forth I discovered jewelry in high school I rediscovered it many years later in college Uh, this is my third year at the art Westport um, art fair so
0: so you've been creating art basically most of your life all of your life
4: absolutely yeah
0: have you tried to quit
4: (laughs) it keeps finding me yeah
0: a very similar answer from most people i've tried to quit too and for some reason i've been unable to so you were mentioning a little bit ago about how creativity finds its way in many different aspects of life what does that mean to you
4: yeah i i just um it's interesting. I think I've had this conversation with several different people this weekend that we have a tendency to think of creativity in very narrow terms. You know, I hear a lot of people say, oh, I'm not very creative. And then they tell me about, you know, how they're working on this engineering project. And I'm like, so you're creative. (laughs) So, uh, you know, creativity just manifests in many different forms. You know, I kind of think of creativity as just the process of taking an idea and turning it into something functional.
0: You were born to do this podcast.
4: Oh, thanks. (laughs) Not be an artist? (laughs) Both. Both.
0: What else do you do? I don't want to interrupt, so keep keep going on that conversation about uh, you have an idea to manifest itself into a product of some sort
4: Yeah, and I don't even know if it's necessarily only products either. You know, creativity can be, you know, um, brainstorming on processes or, you know, it's problem solving, right? Like you have an idea, you plan, and then you make it happen. You get other people on board if you need to. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, an independent process where I go, oh, I'm going to make this thing. And then you make it and then you sell it. But sometimes it's not so concrete you know so yeah I don't know I think most of us are very creative and we just think of creativity in more narrow terms so
0: I love everything you said please tell me you teach somewhere or someone
4: I'm working on it I I have a few different things that I do so art isn't the only thing Um, that I do. I also hula hoop once again that's another form of creativity.
0: I see a hula hoop behind the counter here now I understand. Keep talking.
4: Yep I do teach hula hooping classes (laughs) Um, so if you're asking about teaching yeah that was my original plan for my life was I was going to grow up and I was going to teach college. I wanted to be a college art professor and the universe seems to have slightly different plans for me but I do know it involves teaching in the long run. So I'm, you know, taking one step at a time and we'll see exactly how that manifests. So I do teach hula hooping um, through the city of Fairway, uh, the city of Shawnee as well. I teach a few kids classes, um, but I teach adults mostly. I find that uh, adults have forgotten how to be kids and they really need to remember and hula hooping is a great way to do that.
0: That sounds like a fun idea. Do you cook or play an instrument or anything like that?
4: I like to sing. I like to sing. Uh, I'm not huge on instruments, but you know, I haven't died yet, so we'll see what happens.
0: So your instrument is your voice.
4: That's that's right, yes. Um, Yeah, I also teach Reiki. Uh, Do you know anything about Reiki?
0: I know just enough to be dangerous, so give us a, a quick definition.
4: Sure, Reiki is a Japanese mode of natural healing, energy healing, um, and it's just the transference of you know divine life force energy. So I like to explain it like you come in, you lay down on my massage table, you act like a sponge, and I act like a hose, and and life force energy flows through and supports the body's natural healing processes. So I teach people how to do that, too.
0: And you administer that and teach that, or you can administer during your teaching?
4: Yes. I administer all the time.
0: I think I'm getting that right now.
4: <laughs>
0: so a few moments ago, I asked if you tried to quit doing art. And a lot of, a lot of people think that's a joke, and, and they laugh. And that's OK. I've tried to quit being an artist many, many times. And unfortunately, I can't. I always say I'm blessed with being an artist, then the next day I wake up and I'm cursed. But I eventually get back to being blessed again. What are your thoughts?
4: Yeah. Um, well, I like the words that you used there because um, I, I think of creativity as a divine act, you know. Um, I mean, if we think of what God does, God is the act of creation, Right all of this is creation. So innately I believe that humans are creative beings and so while we might try to run from our nature, inevitably it's instilled within us. So it does have a tendency to find its way back to the surface.
0: And I like to think that um, even way before recorded history people were making things not only out of necessity but they were making pretty things they were making interesting things before decoration for the lack of a better term so do you agree with that
4: yeah yeah we can see that all the way back through art history and i mean um, i would even say that you know the act of creating tools i mean that's a creative process as well it's that's that process of problem solving you know that i that i talked about earlier and those are all creative things
0: yes the the flint tools that we find are not only functional, but they're, they're stunningly beautiful and a true craft. Like you just can't walk out and make a flint tool. There's, uh, you can just imagine the generations of teaching that went on mm-hmm. back in the day.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I agree
0: 100%. <laughs> what is your name and what type of artwork do you do? My name
5: is Nicholas Gadbois, and I do cement paintings and
0: uh, paintings involving patterning. So explain cement paintings, because I'm looking at them and they're beautiful, they look high-tech, but maybe they're low-tech. Well, um, I
5: started making them years ago in Los Angeles, and I found stuff in junkyards that I liked. Uh, I thought they looked really interesting, and... They, I was starting to work in cement in the construction field, so I kind of put it together and started playing around with it, making impressions in cement, and then they got more involved with color overlays and
0: such, but uh, they're very suggestive of a lot of stuff. So... When you talked about color, were you adding pigment to the concrete, or were you just simply painting on top?
5: A little of both. Uh, I would tint uh, the the cement with earth oxides that you can get in certain construction stores and uh, sometimes just the gray cement which has a greenish cast sometimes anyway. And then it kind of evolved to overlaying up with plaster and acrylic and I would like flood them so it sort of looked like uh, the way you see
0: landscape from the air. And I see a lot of these things are dimensional. Uh, they are not flat. They they have patterns. Are they carved into them or sculpted some way?
5: No, they are um, all. The, it's bas relief artwork. So all of the uh, ridges and everything you see is a result of impressions into the
0: cement. What do you impress into the? And what's what's the right term here?
5: Well, uh, they're, I would call them mechanical components. Sometimes I don't know what they are. I find them in, in junkyards and they have some purpose or they had some purpose. And uh, some of them might be from engine parts. Uh, I'm not exactly sure.
0: Okay. Uh, what, uh, what type of pallets inspire you? How would you describe um, the way you like to see and think about color.
5: Well, I think it started a lot with just earth tones. Um, I like seeing landscape from the air, and uh, the way things are colored that way. The way nature is kind of naturally coloring things. Uh, sometimes with agriculture, you know, that alters the color that's happening down below. But that's kind of the basis and. More recently, I've colored things in a way like, maybe something's off-world, something is not from this planet.
0: <laughs> I like that idea. Uh, behind you, I'm looking at paintings, and in front of you, I'm looking at these concrete works, and both of these appear to have what I would call some additive processes and some reductive processes. Does that make sense? Does that ring yeah, true? I think
5: that's true. That's true. So I, I, will, um, I will go over certain pieces and what I call reflood them and uh, kind of keep working them. I have used uh, grinders before on certain cement paintings to actually be reductive, take away. Um, I, I
0: kind of like both
5: processes because it's all experimental.
0: Were you creative when you were growing up?
5: Yes, I think I, I was attracted to artwork when I was a kid, and uh, I, I always enjoyed doing it. Uh, I also got into music in high school, uh, rock and roll, and now I uh, play a lot of music at a lot of assisted living places around Kansas City. I sing and play guitar, and uh, that's pretty fun.
0: What's the greatest rock band ever?
5: Oh, God. Um, well, if I, can I put four together? <laughs> Please,
0: yes, I will give you four, yeah.
5: Well, okay, the Rolling Stones, um, the Grateful Dead, um, well, I'll have to say the Beatles, and I'm gonna say,
0: uh, the Kinks. I like that one. How about the Clash? Are they in there somewhere?
5: Uh, yeah, they're fabulous. It was a, it was a, it was a later, uh, thing I got into, uh, A girlfriend uh, turned me on to them, and uh, they're fantastic.
0: Any last-minute thoughts you could tell perhaps young people just getting into artwork?
5: Well, I think play is a big thing. I think you should play. I think you shouldn't think too much about, like, your artistic concerns, but first you should have fun and play and from play comes experimenting and uh, curiosity about materials and all kinds of things, and uh, maybe going to art school, uh, it's not the best idea. I mean, it exposes you to a, a bunch of stuff, but you can learn a lot by just kind of following your sense of play.
0: I think the two greatest words you just used were play and curiosity, and I could not agree more. Final question: Are you a messy studio guy or a neatnik in the studio? He's making a he's making a scowling face right now.
5: No, I, I'm totally messy. Uh, it's kind of a problem. Uh, I uh, I think you uh, have to make a mess to make art. But that's my personal viewpoint. I know a lot of people are very clean about making art, and that's fine. But uh, I think. Art making is essentially kind of a messy process.
0: I'll go along with that. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
0: What is your name and what type of art do you do?
6: Uh, my name is Sean Smith and I am a
0: woodworker. Excellent. Describe to the audience what I'm standing in front of looking at.
6: Uh, well for the show today I've got a uh, selection of hardwood, uh, cutting boards, serving board, charcuterie, And then I also have a uh, a reclaimed vintage oil drum dolly table uh, to show some of the other work that I
0: do as well. How long have you been doing this particular type of woodworking?
6: Uh, This type has been for a couple of years. I've been a woodworker. I've been doing woodworking since I was, uh, gosh, six, so a little over 40 years. I started my grandfather's wood shop. Most of what I did then was sweeping the floor when, uh,
0: when it was necessary, but... But you were bonding with Grandpa? Oh, absolutely,
6: yeah. Sitting in the corner, on the stool, watching, learning, talking. Uh,
0: was beautiful memories for me. So a lot of osmosis happened? Uh,
6: I would like to think so. I'd like to think I took a few things away from him, yes, absolutely.
0: If somebody came along and said, uh, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to do this anymore, uh, how would you feel? Oh, he just made a terrible face.
6: Uh, well, I think the expression probably said it, yeah. It's, uh, this is what I love to do, I, and I took the opportunity uh, about a year ago to do it full-time. Uh, so if I couldn't do this, I, I would probably be a little lost.
0: Do you just work out things in the studio physically in a three-dimensional type of system, or do you uh, have a sketchbook and draw out ideas as well?
6: Uh, most of my ideas are, uh, you know, as you said, th- th- three-dimensional kind of combining wood colors together till I get a design that I that I'm happy with. Um, I use a lot of social media for ideas as well. Uh, so many social sites uh, where woodworkers get together and share ideas. Uh, so there's always there's always a wealth of of uh, ideas and things I'd like to try out there.
0: I'm looking at beautiful burgundy colors of wood, a beautiful bright orange. I would say, uh, since I'm a painter, I would say it's burnt sienna and cadmium red light mixed together. Of course, there's lots of um, what I would call mahogany colors, uh, burnt umber colors, uh, darker colors. Uh, what are, are these woods colored that way, or is that the natural state of the wood?
6: Uh, it's the natural state of the wood with an oil application. So, um, with these products, it's it's critical to be food safe. So I don't use. How any-
0: how do you do that? I'll interrupt. How do you make a product like this food safe?
6: Well, you would avoid using stains or dyes. So in this application, I take the the natural wood, the raw wood, uh, combine it with a uh, coconut oil mineral oil blend which then brings out the natural wo-
0: colors of the wood. If I bought one and took it home, how much maintenance do I need to do on this product?
6: I would recommend about once a month, depending on the, the amount of usage, to do a light coverage of the oil. And any, really, you can use any food safe mineral oil. I have ones that I prefer. Uh, but after that, once it starts to show signs of wear, being hardwoods, you can do a little bit of sanding on it. Um, and for boards like this, I can run them through one pass on my planer, re-oil it, and it's like a brand new board. These boards, like a, like last, a, but these boards would last 50 years.
0: So a 32nd of an inch, 16th of an inch on the planer?
6: Uh, when I plane, I'm probably a little less than a 64th of an inch per pass. Uh, which in many applications is more than enough, just depending on the amount of damage that you might have in a board. Uh, but yeah, you really wouldn't need to go more than maybe a 32nd of an inch in most cases. But I try to do as little as possible. I try to, try to preserve the, the thickness of the wood so that uh, you can avoid warpage through really thin boards, if that makes sense.
0: I can uh, understand that these are incredibly functional, but if I grabbed one of these and took it home, I'm putting it on the wall. These th- I, I can't express enough how beautiful they are, and as I was walking by, uh, I, they really captured my attention. Do you do other things in your daily activities that would be considered artistic?
6: I don't know if I would call it artistic. It might be a lost art, but I do work on my uh, my 81 Dodge D150 pickup, my 36, 37 year old farm truck that has 300 and almost 50,000 miles on it. So it's pretty much a daily, some some kind of work, almost daily on it, just to keep it on the road.
0: I can tell you're passionate about that, and and I think there um, I think there's a lot of people that uh, restore cars either uh, patiently or impatiently or professionally. And I, and I, I do think that's uh, an art, art form as well. So did you make something crazy and, and completely nonsensical when you were in your grandfather's shop?
6: I'm sure everything I made then was somewhat nonsensical. Uh, it is funny, though, that some of the projects I made 10, 12 years old, Uh, My parents still have. Um, Durable. Yes. Yes. The the one that they always travel, wherever they go, they take a bread box that I made. And it still sits on their counter today, 35 years later.
0: Very good. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. What is your name and what do you do?
7: I'm Heather Hamilton. I'm a creative director in an advertising agency, and I'm also the CCO of my husband's company called Hashtag Smithelton. And you have permission to use my voice and what I say.
0: So explain the name to me again. Hashtag
7: Smithelton. My husband is Sean Smith. I'm Heather Hamilton. Uh, On our third date, we created the hashtag of Smithelton, the combination of our two last names. And uh, it it turned into our our company name very quickly, Hashtag Smithelton LLC.
0: So at that point, you had to have a fourth date. You were you were both committed.
7: We were, yeah, we were in it. We were good. Our, our third date was an all-day date.
0: Tell me about the creativity you use in your job.
7: In my job, I get to use all of my creative and diplomatic skills <laughs> all day long. Uh, being a creative person and being a director of other creative people requires more than just simply having good ideas. You have to be able to sell them. You have to be able to coach people make people understand that it's not personal if something doesn't happen the way they want it to happen and also just being able to recognize a good idea and keep developing it and moving it forward without without just giving up on it too quickly
0: the words cajole and persuade come to mind uh, what do you think about that is part of your description of what you do
7: I think that's a really good description I sometimes you have to be the conjoling part is definitely being diplomatic and, and being um, understanding of creative temperaments and creative needs and, and making sure people understand that um, we just want more good ideas. Just keep bringing them. There's never there's never an end to that. And then the persuading is part of the selling. That is a huge part of it, being able to make have people understand why this is a good idea, to see, see this little seedling of an idea and know that it could grow up to be a big, awesome tree or forest.
0: So there's an art to diplomacy, obviously.
7: Obviously. I wish I was better at it, but yes, <laughs> I'm learning as I get older.
0: Where do you think you learned it in the first place? Is it an innate part of your personality, maybe?
7: Yeah, I think it is. I'm,
0: Should I ask your husband?
7: Bring him over. <laughs> bring him over.
0: Do, do you think diplomacy is an innate part of her personality? Uh,
6: I guess it would depend on the, the context and the, and the situation. I think in most cases, yes.
7: As a creative director.
6: I couldn't speak to that. As a director
7: I, of, of, of creative people, I believe.
6: I have heard some stories that lead me to think maybe not always. <laughs> but I'll always default on her yes. side. So I'll have
0: to see. She's laughing. I don't know if you can pick that up or not. <laughs> any last-minute thoughts?
6: Well, I would say thank you for the work that you're doing with the podcast. Uh, I think uh, any opportunity to... Uh, talk to local artists for them to get their stories out to share their work with a larger audience is is always a win for the community. So thank
0: you. Thank you, and tell us where you're from again.
6: Uh, I am from Kansas City,
0: born and raised.
7: I'm from West Des Moines, Iowa, but I've been in Kansas City for almost 20 years.
0: I would call you both native locals now. <laughs> yes. Thanks again, guys. Thank, thank
6: you. you. Thank you.
0: What is your name, and what type of artwork do you do?
8: My name is Kathy Broski, and I do sculptural ceramic art.
0: How long have you been doing this particular type of work?
8: I've been doing this particular type of work for over 30 years.
0: Were you creative when you were growing up?
8: Oh, oh yeah, definitely. I, um,
0: She's smiling really broadly now.
8: I um, would play in the creek as a kid and dig up the mud and play in that and also I spent lots of time alone drawing like cracks in sidewalks and bugs and you know whatever I could find leaves as a little bitty kid not knowing that that was art you know
0: so you did three-dimensional things and two-dimensional things when you were growing up
8: most definitely yeah from a very small age yeah more than just macaroni (laughs) glue on pictures definitely
0: Do those two types of work intermingle in the thought processes of each other? In other words, when you're drawing, do you think about three-dimensional forms, and when you're making a three-dimensional form, do you think of 2D aspects?
8: Actually, the, the the female figurative pieces that I do are, in my mind, a gesture of the form, which is pretty much what you know. I grew up doing. Once I got to art school and things, a lot of gesture drawings, a lot of gestural paintings. So these forms being very simplified are a gesture in three-dimensional form.
0: So here's a question I like to ask people. It sounds funny, but it's a true question. Have you ever tried to quit making art?
8: Oh my God, (laughs) it's like an addiction. Um, I don't know that I ever could honestly quit. And have I tried? Boy, I've, I've thought about getting a real job maybe once. But you know, when I was in college, I actually went to the art institute in Kansas City. I had real jobs, and they were great, and it was wonderful. But because of that business mindset that I also gained from that, I'm able to continual to make a continually make a living from my artwork work in many many ways, not just art fair.
0: So, what would you tell? maybe young people that are thinking of going to art school what's what's a piece of advice that that maybe they don't know about yet
8: I think the biggest thing is have no expectations just broaden your horizons say yes to a whole lot of things at the beginning because you just never know what is going to work for you
0: when you're in the studio how much play is involved
8: Oh, that's a good question. Lately there hasn't been a there's been more play than usual. Um, because I have uh, expectations from galleries and shows and deadlines, sometimes I forget about playing. Although this past year I've played a lot and it has been wonderful, wonderful.
0: So are you messy in the studio or are you a neat nick?
8: I have probably the cleanest clay studio you've ever seen. My clay friends are like, what? What? Do you ever get in here and work? Yeah, it's pretty bad. I clean up after myself constantly. It's very strange.
0: So I assume you have your own kiln. You, you have the, the whole production in your studio.
8: Yeah, I have um, three small electric kilns in the body of my studio. And then outside of the main building, I have another building that has a car kiln that is a gas Uh, fired kiln that is about approximately six feet tall inside so my my work ranges from like you know little four to eight inch sculptures all the way up to life-size sculptures that I build approximately six foot two because that's what fits in the kiln and then they shrink to about five and a half feet
0: is this stoneware porcelain tell me what this beautiful work is that I'm looking at
8: the majority of my work is made out of stoneware clay that has a high content of grog or like a sandy substance into it because i really like the the textural quality of it when i scrape it and carve into it although i do make a few pieces out of porcelain so i'm enjoying lots of different kinds of clays
0: and when you fire the finished pieces you're going cone six eight where are you
8: The majority of my work is cone 6, although the large, the very large pieces, I fired a cone 9 or 10 because a lot of those go outside, and I don't want them to be porous in any way, shape, or form.
0: I'm sure you've probably done Raku. Is that something? uh, But it's a very, uh, it's a huge investment in time and energy and materials because you end up breaking things and things burn up and go bad. But you have done that.
8: I've definitely raku. In fact, raku is one of next to a wood, a, an actual wood fire kiln. Uh, raku is one of my favorite things because it's interactive. You're interacting, acting with the fire, the flame, the heat, everything. And the reason that I personally don't do raku work in my own work is it's it feels very impermanent to me. It's not very hard. It's very porous, um, and I don't get the range of color and texture that I'm going for. So,
0: What was your favorite uh, burnable material that you like to use? Because people use burlap, leaves, bed sheets. Uh, what did you like?
8: I've used a, a myriad of things. One of my favorite things is to soak sawdust in um, a mineral called soda ash and then maybe put a little bit of colorant in there, like cobalt or iron or something. And then when it catches on fire, it flashes onto the piece, the raw piece, no glaze at all. And it will flash a color onto that piece. And then of course, when you're done, you have to use like a floor wax or something like that to seal it if you'd like, you don't have to, but it makes it, makes it almost shiny, but not really in seals
0: Is the sawdust with the potash predictable in color or, does it, or is it based on random elements and temperature?
8: when you soak the sawdust in the soda ash and water then you let it dry and kinda get fluffy not super dry but where that line is where the sawdust is that will produce a line of color. There'll be a line of flash color, there'll be a line of carbon color and there'll be a line of the color of whatever you soaked it in.
0: Well it sounds fantastic. Uh, It it sounds kinda iffy. Uh, Is that why sometimes you don't do more raccoon?
8: It is iffy and that's exactly why I don't do Raku. I mean, I I'm it's clay so it's a little bit unpredictable anyway and that's really unpredictable.
0: What kind of palette do your uh, ceramics run toward?
8: My ceramics run from a very earthy tones um, to uh, maybe like a weathered bronze green color and uh, deeper blues, oceany blues, that kind of thing.
0: And I see some delicate pastels also. Uh, Are those glazes that you mix, or or can you find them commercially?
8: All of my glazes I mix myself. The only glaze that I don't mix is a bright, bright red that I use on some of the heart pieces that are accent pieces on things. Everything else I mix.
0: I appreciate that, because when I went to school, we were not allowed to buy clay, nor were we allowed to buy glazes. We had to mix everything by hand, and I'm so glad that i learned that and that sounds like what you do
8: yeah my undergraduate um, school was wow so extensive that you know i know how to mix glazes i know how to formulate glazes um and i've kind of stuck to that even though it might be easier a little bit more expensive to buy glazes i tend not to do that but i do buy my clay because man making clay is a backbreaker
0: (laughs) well you have to have specialized equipment Uh, you have to have the mixer you have to have the pug mill Uh, the list goes on and on so no I I totally appreciate that I didn't have my own studio I went to college and learned that so uh, totally understandable that you buy clay now any last minute thoughts toward uh, people that are thinking about maybe picking up that guitar or picking up their sketchbook for the first time in a long time what would you tell them
8: I would say, as I said before, no expectations and let go of that fear. We all have fear. Um, it keeps most of us back from doing those really creative things that maybe we were um, pulled away from as a kid. But, you know, let, let it go. Let, let the fear go. Play. Play. Have fun. I mean, uh, what could go wrong? Nothing. It's fun, right?
0: I'm gonna leave it right there. Thank you so much. What is your name and <laughs> what type of artwork do you do?
9: My name is Whitney Manny and I am a fashion and textile designer.
0: Describe to us what your art is.
9: Okay, um, yeah, so I am a fashion and textile designer here in Kansas City. I operate my own um, ready women's ready to wear clothing and accessory label under my name Whitney Manny. Um, Everything is really inspired by the principles of street art and um, cultural movements that have shaped our urban landscape. So all of my textile designs start out by hand. Some of them end up by hand only so some pieces are hand dyed and hand painted are screen printed and airbrushed only, exclusively. So those pieces are one of one. And then um, a lot of the artwork starts out by hand, but then I digitally manipulate it and have the fabric printed digitally.
0: Give us an example of street art. What do you mean by that?
9: So street art, just, I mean, something as basic as um, like a graffiti wall, somebody tagging a wall, uh, a mural on the side of a wall, uh, a knit bombing, Um, just things like that work that is really um, taking over a a public space Um, the thing about street art that really inspires me is the fact that um, graffiti and street artists are able to go into a space um, and they approach just let's just say for instance a, a brick wall they look at that wall not in a way of like necessarily it's disrupting that space but it's Working with its environment instead of against it. So that's how I like to kind of approach my pattern design, my pattern work, uh, to have it work with the female form instead of against it.
0: How difficult is it to design for the female form? Because I'm yeah. walking around this art fair and I see uh, all different shapes and right. sizes.
9: Um, you know, it's something that is second nature for me so I kind of I mean I, it's not something that I really think too much about um, there's I just I think it's just some it's, it's some part of it for me that's just really really natural um, and I think me just like understanding sewing and garment construction kind of helps me know how to like really plan and like um, just like prepare my, my surfaces, my fabrics. Um, so just like understanding silhouettes, I think helps helps inform that process for pattern design. But I wouldn't say that it's too hard. Yeah.
0: How long have you been sewing?
9: How long have i been sewing? Um, I started sewing when I was 13. I taught myself by taking apart old clothes.
0: Wow, that is. Yeah. So you were reverse engineering Re- clothes.
9: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't something that like, I was cognizant of then. I really started sewing because I wanted, I was growing out of my clothes so fast all the time. I'm a, I'm a pretty decent height uh, for a girl. So um, it, for me, it really came out of, I wanted to be able to keep my old clothes longer. So it's just like, okay, let's see how I can remix this. And that was really what started my sewing journey.
0: What other types of things did you do growing up or now uh-huh. that would be considered creative?
9: Um, writing, I was a really big writer. Honestly, writing was my alternative career choice. Um, I was really big into photography and drawing, things like that.
0: So you've basically been doing this all of your life?
9: Pretty much, yeah. I know when people ask me, like how long have you been doing this? It feels like I have no clear start time, you know, cause it's just something that I've been consistently working towards, this has always been the goal.
0: So are you one of these artistic people that works 90 hours a week just so you don't have to work 40 hours for somebody else?
9: Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I um, you know, I, I run the business um, through online store. I sell wholesale to other stores and do pop-up events like Art Westport. Um, and then also freelance, so design for other companies and things like that. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't trade it. <laughs> what types
0: of palettes do you lean toward?
9: Um, anything bold and bright. Um, the, the brighter, the better to me. For me, I'm just like, why hide? Why blend in? Um, you know, I only get one chance to look stunning, so <laughs> I'm gonna make the most of it. <laughs>
0: uh, that's one of the most interesting things I've heard here today. <laughs> I heard somebody say a long time ago, probably on a television show, there were two women talking to each other, and one woman said, hey, you've got the last 20 years of your life to wear a bunch of flowers.
9: I mean, and honestly, my whole thing, because for me, I look at my 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 outfits as a chance. This is what I put on. You, go, when you see me, you know, walking down the street or anything, that's the first thing you're gonna see before I even say anything to you, before I even say hello. So this is the, this is the statement that I'm making, you know. Um, and who knows? It might be happy. It might be a little sad. It might be a, a mix of both. But. It's, it's the thing that's gonna explain who I am as a person first.
0: What would you say to young people perhaps listening to this and they're wondering, uh, should I get into some creative endeavor or should I maybe not?
9: I would say start as soon as you possibly can and start that process while you have the safety nets of still being young. And maybe you're still in high school, you're not at your parents' house yet, or you're still in college and you have that room to, to explore and experiment and take those risks use that time wisely. I think the sooner you can start, the better. For me, that was definitely helpful. Um, And now, because of that, now I'm able to be like really fearless in my work um, and know what really works and who my audience is.
0: Are you the kind of person that just does things and then thinks about it and figures it out later? Or do you have everything planned and you know it's going to work?
9: um as i think as a businesswoman, i have to have a bit of both um the business part of me is definitely incredibly analytical i am always running spreadsheets and numbers and trying to figure out what's you know my best selling item or something like that but um i definitely always make sure i have a healthy balance of that studio time where i'm just kind of like this is not You know, I'm not making this with the intention of this being the next big thing. I'm creating this so that way I can kind of like have that time to investigate and discover something else in my practice.
0: Here's one of my favorite questions I ask people. If I went into your studio, is it going to be a total wreck or is it going to be really neat and pretty?
9: Oh my lord! Uh, Well, it's always a wreck, but right now it's a incredible wreck. Just because you know when you're getting ready for pop-ups, packing and sorting and all that things is a nightmare. Um, But other than that, when people walk into my studio, it's always they're always amazed by like all the color and pattern that's around, and it's just bins of fabric everywhere. It's it's it keeps you busy, keeps you looking, and makes you want to to like just learn more and ask more. (laughs) <laughs>
0: do you think that, um, and we'll just stick with the word messy because uh-huh. I like that. I'm messy. Yeah. Uh, do you think being messy lets you find accidental combinations of things that maybe you wouldn't have thought of?
9: And you, Yeah, I mean, I definitely have like a lot of happy accidents, especially for how involved my work is. Um, especially like when I'm dyeing fabric and stuff. Sometimes some things I might ha- think this is how it's going to turn out and it does not turn out like that. But it kind of keeps me on my toes because it's like, OK, either this was an amazingly happy accident or this is something that I'm going to have to, like, push through and figure out how to make it work because this fabric is not cheap. <laughs> yeah.
0: Do you have a, a favorite way to work?
9: Um, Not really. I, I, te- I do tend to get to studio early, but um, a lot of times it's me kind of sitting there kind of sketching, just looking through what I have. Uh, a big part... One of my favorite parts of the process is the research part, so I spend a lot of time at the library and just like researching and googling and like that's like really like the research and development part is like my favorite part of everything Um, and then kind of like later towards the day like after about two or three is like when I'm most awake, so that's the time that I'm like all right me and the sewing machine can get focused.
0: (laughs) Do you have a sketchbook? Do you draw out designs and and think that way also?
9: You know what, it's a mix. I do sketch, um, but a lot of times when it's very odd, because sometimes when I have a very clear idea and I'm like, this is what I want to do, I often write it out, just kind of like write a list out of like just descriptive words and things of just like how I want it to look. Like I know I want it to be X amount of inches from shoulder to hem. I want this kind of pocket. Da, 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 da. and a lot of times that works out better than me sketching it like drawing it out um, and then i'll just go ahead draft a pattern for it cut it out do a sample if it works great if not keep figuring it out <laughs> i kind of know like offhand i know like i need to do this 16 across here 20 across here this is going to go at the bias at this point it can just kind of like cut it out and it's done um, so, I do have some of those pieces where it's like I'm able to just kind of look at the fabric, cut out the basic flat lace shape and go from there. Yeah. And
0: I'm intrigued with your vocabulary that, that you use because it's completely different than a ceramicist or a printmaker.
9: Right. Yeah, yeah. It, it is a defi- definitely a different playing field um, and it's interesting being in this space. Um, Cause I am around a lot of like painters and ceramicists and photographers, um, that kind of have like a more traditional, not necessarily super traditional, but it, it is kind of like a standard medium for art. And so when people come in here and they're like, these are just clothes, but it's like, actually I probably, I put in that, I put in the same amount of work as everybody else, just because, you know, everything is starting from scratch with handmade textiles and then turning into completely sewn garments.
0: This has been gold, Whitney. Thank Thank you very much. No problem. Good luck.
9: Thank you.